everybody. Welcome back. I'm Katie. And I'm Kate. And this, this is, is Premeditated. I like that I close my eyes as I yeah. say. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I'm like, what are Kate's thinking as I'm sitting here? Also, I think it's hilarious that you're in show choir because I remember doing karaoke with you at the Legion. And, I and you requested... Abba. Of course I do. Dancing Queen is my fucking jam. Yeah, but all you did was dance. <laughs> you true. literally put down the microphone. No, I had it and I was like swinging it. Oh yeah, you were mouth. swinging it. And so I, I like, had to come up and sing it. And then you were just dancing. And I was like, I hope she knows in show choir you have to do both. She has to do the choir part, not just the show. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, Dancing Queen, everyone in my family knows. Like when I'm drunk. That's yeah. my song. Mine's Natural Woman. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. You sang that. Well, Looking out on yep. the morning rain. We absolutely have. You sang that when we did karaoke at Tailgate. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And you I got did those nachos. Dancing Queen. And then you got a migraine. And yeah. We had to I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> God. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, joining again for another week and for putting up with our, you know, weird schedules it's just hard we're trying our best but life is busy and so we we do as much as we can and we hope you appreciate that but we really really do try and do it every week we'll keep trying our best well you know last monday because we re- we record on monday nights yep and last monday night was my 13th wedding anniversary so like that's a pretty good excuse and my in-laws had just flown yeah. out flown out that morning like, to go forgot. back to virginia and i was like oh my god today is my anniversary and then i was like i want to spend my anniversary with katie and which we've done recording, in the which we've done in the past we have spent but anniversary i together. just can't justify that yeah keith might be a little sad but yeah. honestly probably not, not. probably not yeah, like, like we didn't cool. get each other anything or, go to band practice yeah go to band practice <laughs> Which is what Kate's husband calls our podcast. Yeah. He's, he's like, like well, okay. He's a band getting together tonight. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, man. But I'm super pumped because I've been waiting two weeks for this, Kate. I know. I know. waiting two weeks. So. Do you, I have to tell you, um, I have like about nine bags of clothing in the back of my car <laughs> to because donate? I'm fucking sick and tired <laughs> of this yard sale that you keep this yard sale <laughs> that never comes so much that you work. keep saying I know. we're gonna do we were for sure gonna do it and i've year. been saving like four years worth of stuff no, just, and then just today bring it to Goodwill. i was like i gotta get this out of this closet like i have a walk-in closet upstairs and i was like oh this is bad like yeah. this is bad this Am would I, be the perfect place to hide if somebody broke in and i can't hide anyone no well, of course i can hide under you. the bags of clothes yeah. But I'd probably suffocate. My so. favorite thing is I go through my clothes pretty frequently and will like fill up a bag to donate. I bring it in my car and it sits in the trunk of my car for weeks oh, before yeah. I stop at a Goodwill or Salvation. Yeah. So it's like I always have a bag of clothes the, to donate. The, the these are literally guarantee. blocking my rear view mirror. So, <laughs> so like, get them out of there or yeah. you'll get in an accident. Yeah. You're a bad enough driver as is. I am a terrible <laughs> yes. So Kate, you started horseback, horseback riding, riding lessons. lessons. So I grew up riding, um, but I haven't been riding in like 15 years. And I just thought like, I really want to spend time with horses. I'm like do something fun. Yeah. For yourself. But honestly, I volunteered at a horse thing in Seattle and it was great. But I was like, but those horses weren't for riding. Yeah. Like naturally they were rescued race horses. And, and 
And while I enjoyed that, like fix and fence and muck and stalls and stuff, like that was fun. But I, I just thought I, I want to do something for me. Yeah. And, like this was a birthday gift to myself. Um, and so I just, I Keith and I went and toured this stables, Dakota Stables, out in Northfield, Minnesota, and it was awesome. Like oh, I love it's that. like two hundred acres. They have a ton of horses that are boarded there. You can lease a horse for $160 a month. What? Yeah. And then wow. you just go out and look, like, yeah. So I might do that. Who knows? That but it's really cool. Yeah. You don't have all the obligation of owning a horse right. or having to get a trailer and like right. pay for boarding and like, yeah. So, and everyone there, it was just so nice. And my teacher, Amanda is like so knowledgeable and all about like connecting to the horse. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So it was just really good. Like uh, I just get to start from basics again. Sure. And yes, a lot of stuff yesterday was like muscle memory. Like yeah. I like even just like saddling the horse. Like I was like, oh, I remember a uh, lot of this. But I don't I know where to start. Well, I told her I was like, some of this is vaguely familiar, but I was like, why don't you walk me through yeah, it anyway? Right, right. Like I, I, you know, what goes where and. So it's nice because I never got like official lessons or anything. Like my dad just threw me on a horse when I was about six like, years old. Smacked it. Yeah. And like, go. Well, he was a bronc rider. And so uh, for, well, he wasn't very good. And I think he only went once, but, uh, <laughs> but once a bronc rider, yeah. always a bronc rider. But he grew up riding horses and, uh, and so, yeah. And, you know, but we never like, we could never, we either couldn't afford or once I got older, it, I was just way too busy yeah. to own a horse. Sure. My stepsister and I supposedly owned a horse together, but she never let me ride it. So fun. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I was just looking oh, for. I'm so happy that you did that. Something therapeutic. Absolutely. Oh man. Well, what do you got for us this week? So Illinois. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. We, I think we do have an Illinois sticker. Oh, I'm no way. positive we do. <laughs> Otherwise, we had, one. all we had left was Massachusetts. Yeah, we've got like 86 and Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> we for sure have an Arizona. I think it says Arizona on there. Oh, which, my God. To make it identifiable. I'm pretty sure we have Illinois, which is exciting. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Illinois, but not what you would think. Not Chicago. Chicago. They're from Chicago. Okay. Or a suburb outside of Chicago. But they, uh, this takes place in a tiny little town of LaSalle, Illinois. Okay. There's a great documentary on Hulu if you have HBO. Okay. So I guess it's technically HBO. HBO. Uh, it's called The Murders at Starved Rock. Okay. It is so well done. Oh, I love HBO true crime yes. docuseries. Yeah. They do such a good job. They really do. And the guy that made the documentary, he started making it in 2006, I think. His father was the prosecuting attorney Ooh. in this case. Oh, cool. Yeah. And he, and he goes back and he, he offers a really interesting point of view because the documentary maker doesn't think the guy that was convicted in this case was actually guilty. And so he thinks his father got it wrong. Ooh. And so it's really interesting. Fascinating. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. perspective. It really is. And cool. I, to be honest, you'll, you'll see what I mean later. I am on the fence as well. Cool. So. It's really cool. cool. Okay. Murders at Starved Rock. And this is another reason that I wanted to do it because this sounds like something that I would love to do. We both would love to do. Yeah. These three women from Chicago and they were heading out for a relaxing girls trip in March, 1960 in LaSalle, Illinois. Okay. And they wanted to go like, it was still winter 
at this Starved Rock State Park, but they wanted to go for a hike. Okay. And uh, and they were going to stay at this lodge and all this other stuff. So so it sounded like something that that we need to do. Yeah. I but mean, that sounds you right know, up our alley. Just the, not, not get the murder. murdered. Yeah, not yeah. the murder part. Not but the, the girls again. <laughs> the girls I got it. It with mimosa. <laughs> and ended with murder. <laughs> Mimosas and murder. Mimosas Ooh. and murder. That is, we should have yeah. done a podcast. Okay. But then we'd have to drink mimosas all the time. Be trash. Oh my god! Give me like three or four mimosas, and I'm good. I'm like Elizabeth Shue, uh, Elizabeth Shue's friend in cocktail. Yeah, where uh, with Tom Cruise. Okay, where uh, her friend drinks way too much champagne on the beach in the sun and <laughs> gets really sick and has to go in an ambulance. And then Elizabeth Shue gets you know meets Tom Cruise and like she wins, and that would totally happen to us. Yeah, like oh, for you sure. would get Tom Cruise. I get the guy, and I would end up in the hospital <laughs> with <laughs> alcohol poisoning. Okay. With alcohol poisoning, I'm like, ah, cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> Tom Cruise. He's a Tom Cruise is a fucking creep. Attractive, <laughs> but he a is, creep. Oh my god. Did you have you seen the new Top Gun? No. Oh, I know I need to. I really need he to. He is I've a heard beautiful a, man. Scientology does wonders for the body. <laughs> That's all I can say. I don't know. I don't know. Not good for the brain, but the it body. body. Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. You said mimosas and murder. Mimosas so. and murder. <laughs> but no, going to a lodge and staying for a night or two and going for a hike in a girls group where there's not some whiny guy that we have to worry about would be so fun. Would be ideal. So these women thought that it would be fun, too. So uh, the first member of the trio was Lillian Oding. Lillian. She's an immigrant from Ireland who had come over to Illinois as a child and was now 49. And then there was Frances, and they called her Frankie uh, Murphy, and she'd live in Illinois all her life. Okay. Um, and she was 47 years old. I do love that name, Frankie, for uh, a girl. Yeah, for a girl. Frankie. My mom's cat's named Frankie. <laughs> it's she's, a good name for a she's cat, a girl. Too. Yeah. <laughs> My mom just acquires cats. Like, they just show up like at me. our property. Like, like me. Which, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Except they live out in the country. So it's like, like yeah, you do well, acquire you cats. Head. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh. Remember his tail? It was like yeah. frozen off. And then it, it fell off in our house. And I never found it. So someone <laughs> ate it. Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, it was either Baldwin or Big Head. I don't know. I think but he's all gross. Remember his giant head and all of his scratches. Katie had so a winter, terrible. one winter where she would just like, it's like cough, cough and a cat would show up. Yeah, where cats were just showing up. <laughs> and then she was like posting to Facebook that they were there. No one, no one would come. No one would like, come get him. But a cat showed up recently at my mom's house again. He's this black and white kitty. And, it, and uh, he, mom thinks he, he's not very old. He must be like a year old. Oh, so she, she named him Johnny. <gasps> I love animal names that are like people names. My my brother-in-law, so Nikki's husband. Oh, yeah. His parents got a dog and they named him Jimmy. Yeah. And they literally treat him like a human. So Nikki will be talking about him and I'll be like, wait, who are And they're like, British. So that's amazing. Like, yeah. Jimmy needs to go on a car ride every day or he, he doesn't do well. And I'm like, Jim, Jimmy the dog? Every morning they make Jimmy a, a bowl of oatmeal. And I'm oh. like, Jimmy, the, we're talking about the dog, right? Yeah, Jimmy's got to get out of the house every day around noon or he gets a little antsy. <laughs> it's like, well, I named my dogs Walter and Edith. Yeah, I know. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the cat, well, where did we? Oh, yeah, that? yeah. Well, my mom said Frankie and Johnny was the song that my dad, uh, when he got drunk, would sing no matter where they were. So he had a song. Even too. without a microphone. Like Dancing Queen. Oh, yeah. That was his oh, song. Yeah. 
I don't know if it was quite the same, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Frankie Murphy had lived in Farmington, Illinois, her whole life. She was very familiar with the area. She was 47. So Lillian, the Irish woman, was 49. Frankie Frankie was 47. Mildred Lindquist. Mildred. Mildred. Not my favorite name. Millie. I'm like, Frank- oh, Millie would be good. Millie that would was be like cute. A, yes. I know a couple Millies in there. Urgent or dread. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that well, that could be it. I just, I always, <laughs> I always, when people are like, oh, you know, uh, my full name's William, but people call me Bill. And I'm like, they don't call you M? <laughs> No, I am is a good one. I am is I am is a good one. Mildred Lindquist was the final member at 53. She was the oldest and spent all her years in nearby Chicago. The suburban women lived, they lived near the city and were all well known and respected in their communities. And they're married to elite Chicago business executives. Oh, it's a kind of a madman situation. Ooh, okay. Yeah. A lot of butt smack and a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> A lot of like demeaning, <laughs> yeah, derogatory. Yeah, sure. Yep. Cool. <laughs> All three had children and homes to take care of, but on Sunday, March thirteenth, they decided to break free from their dull routine. Good that, for that. Yeah. Bunch yeah. of bad bitches. Are That's like, what... you're gonna stay at home with the kids, and I'm gonna get myself a mimosa <laughs> and murder. <laughs> In this documentary, uh, I think it was Frankie's granddaughter they were interviewing her and she's like well i never really got to know her but it just seems like she was just such a cool lady yeah. and yeah it's always the case like god yeah can't you just like murder the dicks of the world yeah like god go after the people that everyone hates because they're bullies and assholes yes i don't mean that don't actually but i mean that's in an ideal world right i almost named a political party <laughs> Don't, Don't do, do that. We are not political on this. Podcast. No, we're not political. But, if but I you was. know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> but you know prosecutors, evidently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Katie prosecutors hates prosecutors. Hate them. Just hate them. Well, you're going to hate them yeah. more. Oh, yes. So these three older ladies, they've probably got teenagers. Yeah. And. You know, they're sick of being stay-at-home moms. They just been housewives. They want to go wild. They, they want to wild out. They want to go house housewives hiking. go wild. You know? Yeah. Housewives go wild. Real housewives of <laughs> starved rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So badass ladies. And the thing that is funny is they still wore like like because there was sure. it was snowing. So they wore long skirts and tights. And like wool socks. And I was just like, you guys are awesome. Yeah. Like you're getting out to go hiking and you don't give a shit. No. Like, like I'm going to wear my long dress. Yeah. <laughs> but also socks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so on March 13th, they met at their church and they agreed that on the following day, they would just, this was like a spur of the moment thing. Like they would just pack up and leave. Sure. Good for them. Yeah. Moms need breaks. Moms you know? need breaks. Apparently. I don't know. Anyway, so yes, they needed a break. So they're going to go on a hike and stay at this at this lodge. So the destination was was far like removed enough from their daily lives. So the destination, like the lodge? The was, lodge. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's Starved Rock State Park and okay. the lodge was at the park. Um, it was just under two hours away from where they lived near Chicago. It had been a particularly rough winter for Lillian's husband. Uh, his name is George. 
he was battling poor health as a result of a heart condition. Um, so Lillian was the caretaker, yeah, but she's... so she needed a break. Yes. A hundred percent. But she's still worried about her spouse. So she just constantly checked in. Absolutely. Lillian promised her husband, she would call to check in on him every evening. She was away on Monday morning, March 14th. They all left in Frankie's gray station wagon. Okay. So they get to this rustic lodge and it's like surrounded by a forest and it's you know there's spring snow everywhere i mean it's march yeah it's march it's the middle of march right so it's the same as here it's cold yeah Yeah, it's cold yeah and the three women were given two rooms in which to stay so lillian would remain alone in room 109 um and the other two agreed to bunk together okay um in room 110 after grabbing the keys from esther she was the front desk clerk okay the three of them hurried up and went to their room and they discarded their bags and then they they headed to the dining room for lunch okay over lunch they decided there was still enough daylight left in the day to go for a hike so they decided to go on this easy one mile trail near the lodge it was the perfect length for an afternoon excursion they grabbed their coats their boots and their long woolen skirts okay so they were still ladies <laughs> this is 1960 but yeah. keep in mind that these women are like almost 50 yeah sure and and over 50 like yeah. they're all within the 50 age range so and like it's gonna sound weird but i think you will understand what i'm saying like 40s and 50s back like age age yeah. of 40s to 50s always seemed way older oh yeah pre like 1980 oh no but think about what they've been through yeah, they right. had to grow up quickly like right. they went through a depression right they went through two world wars they seriously i mean like they were shipping off kids that were 17 18 yeah. years old and younger to to fight in wars like it no i mean it's- some of these women some of the, the girls in the 1940s like quit high school yeah and went to work in factories like it's yeah, you're right yeah i know it's you like, had to do a so, lot of growing up back then just so weird. like seeing my parents now and like thinking when I was a kid and thinking like 70, yeah. I'd be like, that's old as fuck. Yeah. Like, that's near death. Yeah. And now it's like, my parents are getting close to 70 and I'm like, they're, they're not old at all. Like, yeah. You can still do everything. And my grandma who's 86 and I'm like, my grandma is young. Like she's got Bobby Joy is 75. Right. And you're like, and she literally planked for 30. <laughs> like, like <laughs> d- She went to the gym the other day and like was planking. And I was like, like what the fuck? Yeah, it's like so weird. But like you see a picture of somebody who was like 50 yeah. in the 80s and you're like, Jesus Christ, that person is old. Well, and it's not just that, but like the hairstyles and, yeah. the, and Glass, the way they the dressed glasses. and the glasses. And like and everyone's like, skin was so wrinkly because there was like no skin care. There was or no like skin care. There was a lot more to worry yeah. about. That's right. for sure. Okay. So anyway, so yeah, anyway. these are, I would imagine they, they don't, you know, they, they look older. They probably, they've spent yeah. through some shit. They've, they've. They've been through life. They had a different journey than yeah. us. <laughs> Our skin looks yeah. flawless. No, my skin is beautiful. My skin is better be. Don't, no, my skin is super wrinkled. But it's only because I'm so animated. By oh. <laughs> like, that's why I have so, like, seriously, like, all my, it's really? I make so many expressions. I have no wrinkles and I'm equally animated. I, know, I think it's because your forehead you don't do a lot with. Like, no. you don't, like. Yeah, no. you don't do that a lot. No, Whereas, I don't. like, every time I talk, I'm like. No, your eyebrows go up for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can do one. Yeah. Eyebrow? No. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not a super joyful person. Yeah, I, know. I just like can't that. control my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
There it is. It's, Katie can't control her face. Yeah, just That's why she has wrinkles. Get it under control, Katie. So they decide to go on this hike because they there was enough daylight left. So Frankie grabbed her camera and another woman stuck a pair of binoculars in her pocket. And then they headed out on the trail. Okay. When late Monday evening rolled around. So that was Monday. George was surprised to have not heard from Lillian. He decided to give her a call before he turned into bed. So uh, he called the front desk of the Starved Rock Lodge and he was quickly put through to her room, but the phone rang repeatedly before the operator routed his call back to the front desk. So the front desk receptionist assured George that the women were likely enjoying, you know, like a late dinner and mentioning that they had uh, checked in earlier, ate lunch, and said they were heading out for a brisk hike. Sure. So George was still kind of worried, but he... Hung what up. What can you do? And just, yeah, he can't do anything. So he just expected his wife would call the next day. Right. So the following day on March 15th, a phone rang. It was George again asking for Lillian. He was now really worried that he hadn't heard from right. his wife. So this was the next morning. This was the next day. Okay. Yeah. March 15th. Another employee answered the phone and this employee thought that they, the three women were spotted at breakfast. Okay. Not even an hour ago and had been seen leaving the lodge shortly after. Okay. That was not the truth. Sure. No one had seen the women. So I don't know how that miscommunication happened, but that ends up being really vital. Sure. So now George is reassured. He's confident in his wife's whereabouts. Okay. But he should have been yeah. really, really concerned. So sure. this, they told him that, that they saw fine. them. Yeah. yeah. That she's he's fine. Like, okay, and like, cool. yeah. That evening, a blizzard rolled in. Uh, while the guests all hunkered down inside the lodge, a blanket of frozen white snow built up. And in the end, the storm would deposit a few inches on Starved Rock State Park. So on Wednesday, when George called, so keep in mind, they went there on Monday. So this is Wednesday. Uh, George called again and he demanded to talk to Lillian. And he said, not hearing from her on Monday was understandable. It was a little concerning, but irritating on Tuesday. Now it was like, He's okay, like, what, the, what is going on? Yeah. Especially since he's sick. Yeah. Right. And that he knows what kind of wife she is and is going to be checking in. Sure. Um, so the front desk clerk um, told him that she would go check the rooms. And as the door was pushed open and came into contact with the women's suitcases, they were unopened. And haphazardly discarded as if they had just dropped them off, which like is what they, they did. That's what they did on Monday. So they, they drove up on Monday. Okay. This is Wednesday. Okay. The beds were unslept in, the dressers untouched, and the and the bathrooms were spotless. And the three women were nowhere in sight. Shit. And that's when they confirmed that, like, no, actually no one had seen them sure. um, on Tuesday. So the manager told the clerk to check the parking lot where Frankie's car sat just as it had when it arrived. And now it was covered in snow. Damn it! So now it's all coming together. Now George is frantic because it would appear that his wife and her friends had been missing for almost two days. Yeah, absolutely. um, Caught out on the trails during like this blizzard. blizzard. Yeah. So George naturally had a horrible gut feeling. Absolutely. And so he rang his good friend, Virgil. And he's the director of the Chicago crime commission. Okay an organization that assisted authorities in Chicago. Okay. Um, so he's like getting in contact with his connections and like, we got to do something. Yeah. But they also did within the hour, they alerted the LaSalle County Sheriff's office, um, to the disappearances. And then not longer after George arrived at the outpost. So he drove up, um, search parties were organized to find the missing women. Sure. And I'm sure also George called the other husband and was like, 
Our wives. Yeah, our wives. And, like, they're probably, the other husband's really like, oh, they don't want to talk to us. Yeah, they're right. They're like, they're on a girl's trip. Yeah. But if it were me, like, I, I, when I am out, go out of town, like, I talk to Keith. Oh, every absolutely. Day. Like, that, at least, like, at least yeah. once a day. Yeah. So search parties were organized to find the missing women. People grouped around listening for instruction when suddenly the phone rang. Up at Starved Rock State Park, a reporter named Bill Danley had gotten word of the case and decided to make a trip up, hoping to be the first unseen. He got more than he bargained for when a group of boys burst forth from the trailhead. And then they told him that there were dead bodies in a cave just up the trail. What the fuck? Yeah. Those poor boys. Jesus Christ. Oh, God. So when Bill phoned it into the lodge, of course, both the media and law enforcement officers like rapidly descended. Yeah, of course. Near the end of the mile long trail, a a ledge sat. So just to give you an idea, it barely protruded from the rock face. And you can see in the documentary series, like it's very isolated. This is the cave? The cave. Yeah. And it was more of a shallow cavern than a cave. So it didn't go very far back. Sure. And police were trying to cautiously make their way up the trail because keep in mind, like there were six inches of snow now yeah. covered the ground. So it's not a ton for six us. Inches, yeah. Six inches. Is, I mean, yeah. Six inches is six inches. Yeah. Right? Like, and I mean, that, and that it's going to make it harder to walk, harder to keep track of things. Harder it's to also going to cover up evidence. Right. And they're trying to preserve look for evidence. Yeah. Preserve what they can. Well, preserve what they can, but also just like find stuff. Sure. Um, Because all they've heard are these boys saying like, there are dead bodies yeah. in this cave. So, so basically if they hope to find any shred of evidence, they need to be very careful where right. they stepped right up near the cavern. The white snow was just blood red, <gasps> like just blood everywhere. Interesting. So I mean, you, you probably touch on this, but if they were murdered before the snow fell, yeah. why was the snow completely bloody? You think the, the snow would cover them? I suppose it would. Um, and I suppose like if it were to snow into a puddle of blood, the snow would probably absorb the blood. I don't know, but it's. You could be onto something. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so then when they approached the cavern, they saw that the bodies of Lillian, Frankie and Mildred laid side by side on their backs on the cold hard rock uh they were partially nude their legs askew and their thighs covered in deep purple bruises um they did look for a murder weapon and they found this heavy tree branch that was thoroughly coated in blood and they weren't they weren't like stabbed they weren't no they weren't shot it was they were beaten they're beaten in the series they say they were beaten so badly they were almost decapitated (gasps) oh yeah my god yeah and this branch is like, it was, like a log, they pulled probably. it from the snow and it was a hefty right. branch. But you got to think there's a lot of rage and a lot yeah. of strength behind that. So keep that in mind for okay. later. Yeah. Uh, twine, which will come into play later as well. Twine was wrapped around two of the women's wrists and their bloody and discarded camera, which was also uh, used to beat them. Jesus. In the face. What the- fuck yeah like total overkill yeah which is usually a sign of like some sort of relationship right i mean like yeah you don't you don't beat the shit out of people unless you i mean there are of course weird cases but like that is a sign that that the killer knew them yeah knew them or they reminded yeah that's true someone sure god damn for those you know edmund kempers of the world it reminds them of their mother yeah but this is an interesting part they though they were partially nude and their legs were askew like you would think 
they were sexually assaulted, right. but they weren't. Weird. Yeah. So that makes me think that the killer was like, oh, I'm going to make it look like like a sexually deviant person like yeah. committed these crimes when really they believe that it was robbery. If it was robbery, like their discarded camera was there. I mean, it's bloody now yeah. at this point and broken, but binoculars were found a few feet away. But like, why would you choose to rob three older women that are hiking like they're not exactly packing their purses, you know? Good point. And, and like, it, it doesn't seem like a likely it kind place. Of, I mean, like, like you're going to beat the shit out of people to rob them when, like, you follow them back to their hotel. The, the lodge, or, or, yeah. You also have to keep in mind, like, what kind of person did they have doing the autopsy? Like, LaSalle, Illinois is a tiny, tiny town. Yeah. Some of these towns... It was like the local vet. Yeah. What? There was some, some, I can't remember what I read or watched or listened to where they were talking about, like back in the day, you were appointed as a coroner and you did not need any medical yeah. Yeah. background at all. You could literally be like an accountant and be the coroner. Yeah. We it was just watched, like a political position. So yes. Like anyone could be. We watched that series, uh, Five Days at Memorial, okay. which is based off of uh, Memorial Hospital. During Katrina. During Katrina. And the guy that they had doing the autopsies initially, that was exactly it. He wasn't qualified to be doing that. Yeah. Or you've yeah. heard of that guy, like the body farms yeah. and stuff of like that guy who would do autopsies. And he was like, he just like made up credentials. Yeah. And would like save body parts and was charging an, an arm and a leg. <laughs> so um, the autopsy did reveal that each woman had suffered at least 100 blows. To My God. Do you know how much energy that would take? With a giant Blanche. log. Yeah. So keep that in mind as well. A um, hundred each. So three hundred. through the physical I'm motion like, of you know, beating like you've me. Heard of, you've heard of the, like, I'm trying to remember what case it was where, the, and I'm sure other judges have done it, but there was a specific case where a judge went home after, like, after, it, while he was hearing a case, after hearing, like, the person had been stabbed a hundred times and he went home and, like, Sat there and yeah. like pounded his hand against the table a hundred times. And he said it took like eight minutes or something. Yeah. And it's, it's like exhausting. It's, and it was tiring. And you think like that's with just like moving your hand up and down on a table. So they're filled with so much rage and yeah. adrenaline or they are so strong that they're able to like per woman, like a hundred blows. 300 blows, which like I can't think of punching a bag 300 yeah. times or like. Or you like taking a hand, a five pound hand weight and just like chopping with it for uh, 300 times. Your arm is going to be falling off. It's so tired. That's insane. The coroner tried to figure out the timing and they, they figured out that the women were murdered almost immediately after lunch. So they'd only been on the trail for about 15 15 to 20 minutes. God. So there was hope the women may have captured. It, It looked like an image of the killer on the camera. Like they got the film out of the camera. But interesting, you know, it one exposure featured Mildred posing in the foreground on the trail, and the second showed Francis in front of a waterfall. The third added an eerie dark blob near the edge of the frame. Oh, god, which some investigators interpreted to be the shadowy outline of a man. Yeah, but creep, yeah. But on upon further analysis, it was determined that it was nothing more than a double exposure. So, yeah, kind of makes you question all those like ghost photos I from the old, they're like <laughs> i just you know i do not like paranormal so i just don't i don't like i don't want to hear about it i don't want to you don't want oh really no i don't, don't i don't hate wanna... paranormal stuff really yeah, like i i believe in ghosts yeah it scares me 
Like I I think that's a pretty normal yeah. reaction. Yeah, we're but like whereas like I love scary stuff like zombies and because I'm like Oh ah. see, you're the opposite of me. Like you watch Zombievers. It's and a great like, movie, and, It's a great fucking oh my movie. God. God. Oh, see, I love paranormal. Like I love it when it's like a noise or a no, door. No, like I that's because I believe it. I'm like, and then I won't sleep because I'm like, ah, I hear something. See, and I I believe that people will come in and wear my skin as a bodysuit. <laughs> I'm scared of that. (laughs) So the Chicago companies that employed the victim's husbands um, offered a combined reward of $30,000. So all of the the victim's husbands worked together? No, they worked for Borg Warner, Harris Savings and Trust, and Illinois Bell Telephone. So these three together. together Those three companies. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. That's nice of them to do. It is. It is. It's really nice. Nicholas Spiros, uh, the Lodge's longtime operator, chipped in five thousand, bringing the total to the equivalent of more than three hundred thousand dollars in today's money. Right? Yeah. Holy shit! That's Which is crazy. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Also, how Starved Rock State Park got its name was some Native Americans were surrounded by shitty. I one hundred percent have heard this. Shitty story. settlers yeah. uh, who trapped them up on this rock and starve, and starve them, them. To death. yeah cool so yay america yeah God. <laughs> as we talk about this on indigenous and people's on day. indigenous people's day yeah and i'm 116th cherokee so <laughs> so there's that I'm basically elizabeth warren <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> just just call me liz <sighs> tips came flooding in by a mail and telephone but uh the bit of information that seemed most solid was furnished by a LaSalle auto dealer okay and he remembered that on march 14th around 2 p.m he was driving down illinois route 178 that's the road beside the entrance to st louis canyon which is Starved Rock State Park when he saw a tan and beige Chevy Bel Air backing up to where three women stood. Okay. It's like a hitchhiking situation or. But would they. Yeah. Why why would they they hitchhike? Yeah. A young man got out of the car, began talking to the women. Another man stayed in the car. The dealer's description of the first man was around 25 years old, 5'8", 165 pounds, reddish brown hair, dressed in a yellow gray coat and blue pants that may have been denim. I personally don't find that eyewitness account very reliable. Sure. One, because why would they be hitchhiking, the three women? I mean, when they're staying at the lodge, right. which is like right there. Two- They have a car too. Like, Yeah, they have a car. But two- they took the, they show this on the, on the series, the route that they took, like they're, they're not even, they wouldn't even come close to, to being, there. to being like, why would they be on a highway? Yeah. They were going on a mile hike. Doesn't make sense. They took pictures of them near the waterfall. So they're not out on the highway right. somewhere. Like maybe he saw, he saw somebody else, but yeah. reviewing the evidence, there was a chief of psychiatry at uh Stateville prison, which was nearby. And, he provided the investigators with a type of profile. So this was before Ooh, profiling. Right. So I don't know how accurate it was. Still. Cool. Um, of the person that could have committed the killings. So a semi-reclusive man between the ages of 25 and 30 with a powerful physique who yeah. may have been motivated to kill to gratify sexual urges. I think that sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. So that's also like, just, just keep in mind, like the powerful, you know, this 25 to 35 semi-reclusive kind sure. of thing. Okay. And then remember that when I tell you about who they decided to focus on. Okay. 
As I said before, the coroner found vaginal smears from the victims did not have presence of sperm. So that shifted the focus of the possible motive from sex to robbery, as we discussed, which was a shaky hypothesis. And I I agree that it was a shaky hypothesis. Yeah. So police, naturally, they set their sights on the lodge and its employees and guests, you know, who, who's in the closest proximity, sure. I guess you would say, and who and who would be on this trail. More than 500 uh, individuals were fingerprinted and dozens sat, dozens for a polygraph test. Wow. Snow had covered any footprints and likely obscured all other pieces of vital evidence. They just weren't coming to any conclusive outcome. Sure. Which leads me to believe that they were getting kind of desperate. They were looking for somebody yeah. to pin this triple homicide on. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a ton of pressure from yep. Chicago. Yep. And now you got this reward. So as a result of these murders, they, of course, you know, guests at the lodge checked out hastily. Reservations were canceled. So like, did they talk to everybody? Yeah. Before they left. Yeah. Before or... they left. The area was on high alert for a violent, sexually deviant maniac. So naturally. Because they said that he wasn't sexually motivated. Yeah. So ex- why exactly. was that the profile that they, you know, why was that the, the description they gave? <laughs> well, yes. I, I think like the profile that the psychiatrist from Stateville prison gave was that it was motivated by, by sex. sex. It just wasn't. But then the coroner said that they weren't sexually assaulted sure. or may have not been. Um, so they're completely desperate and they're running out of leads and they have no evidence. So what do they do? They focus on the local odd guy. Naturally. Yeah. Oh, he's a goth. Oh, he listens to weird music. Yeah. Oh, he, he likes playing weird games. Oh, he, yeah. a, a, you know, any of those, things. any of those things. To be fair, in this case, he also had previously been charged with sexual assault. So. Okay, so that's, that's so. Something. I mean, so yeah, I, so I get something. it. I get it. One of the employees at Starved Rock Lodge was Chester Weger. Okay, and he, okay, his name was Chester. Yes, <laughs> and well, he was an employee. He was an employee. Okay, in the kitchen, he went by Rocky at the time. Okay, he was very diminutive, like he was not large of stature, okay. um, which is the opposite of what which is <laughs> exactly. So he was interviewed by police in the day and weeks following the murders. He was 21 years old. After the investigators moved their headquarters out of the lodge to one of the cabins on the property, they would sometimes ask for a pot of coffee or rolls. And every so often it would be Uyghur to deliver the order from the kitchen. Uyghur was also an avid outdoorsman and he had extensive knowledge of the trails at Starved Rock. So he was a local. The police knew him. Okay. He was odd. Like I said, uh, that's how uh, his classmates describe him in this documentary series. Sure. And so he was a weird kid. Sure. And he grew up to be a weird young man. Sure. That does not make him a murderer. Correct. <laughs> so, but yes, his again, other actions make him a sexual predator. But. Yes. Chester Weger, he was born in Derby, Iowa in 1939. Uh, he was the only son among Herschel and Juanita's uh, six children. So he grew up with tons of sisters. Sure. Um, when he was two, the family moved to Illinois. They lived in a two bedroom house without indoor plumbing, which I think was pretty common back then. Yeah. Uh, Uyghur slept on a pullout sofa bed in the dining room. Mm. Herschel worked seasonally as a painter and raised coon hounds because okay. coon hunting was a big deal. Yeah. It's interesting. What do you hunt raccoons for? Their fur? Yeah. Okay. Not like, their meat. Like, like Davy Crockett in yeah. his coonskin hat. Right. Yeah. It's like just their fur. Which I I get. They like. I mean, I I'm sure people eat them. I'm sure people eat them. Yeah. I hope. Like honestly, like I hope they do because. 
Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. no, he just dissected. Them. Yeah. Made um, <laughs> people, not raccoons. Oh, God. So, so nasty. So nasty. So wrong. But also, eating raccoons is not okay. I mean, they're trash pandas. So they they are trash pandas. They literally fill up on garbage. So when you eat them, you're literally you're eating, eating garbage. <laughs> and when I eat it, when I eat a nice steak, I know that I'm eating grass. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe yeah. like some bits and stuff that they found some on the ground. <laughs> little snacky bits. Just my luck. Yeah. Every nice steak I've had has been from the cow that's like super highly food motivated. And it's like, <laughs> and like we'll, eats bits of metal. <laughs> and it's that it's one cow. It's like, like hoovers mm. up everything yeah. around it. <laughs> crunchy so his family chester rieger's family his his mom juanita was a housekeeper at starved rock lodge for okay. a time and uh his family really lived off the land so they <laughs> eating only what meat they had hunted so yes so raccoons, so raccoons. sure damn it <laughs> makes me little sad. Trash i hate those little pear fuckers yeah. but i just they're really fucking cute. Those little pair stealing yeah, fuckers. Those little assholes. Those little so bandits. Cute. They're so fucking cute. And growing vegetables in a large garden. So being the only boy, Uyghur developed an especially close relationship with his father. Okay. In the woods behind the family house, Herschel taught his son to trap raccoons and mink and how to skin the animals before hanging the pelts up to dry. So a little bit different than Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, yeah. his father is actually teaching him these useful serve a purpose skills. and like useful skills that were common during that time. So in 1952, when Weger was 12 or 13, he was arrested on a rape charge in uh, Illinois. Um, the incident was mentioned in Illinois Prison Review Board documents, but the details were redacted due to the ages of the people involved. Okay. So Weger has claimed he got in trouble because he put a piece of white cloth inside the vagina of a girl who had been raped by someone else. What the fuck? What a, what a weird like excuse. Oh, it wasn't me. I didn't do the raping, but I did put a piece of cloth up her vagina. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And he says, Just stop it, after you say, I didn't rape her, if that's what you're going to go with. In the documentary series, of course, now... Because Chester Weger has recently been released. Cool. And he's just this frail old man and he cries and like it pulls at your heartstrings. It really <laughs> does. But then. But then you hear him. Yeah. Sorry. And then he says like he was just trying and he was not smart. Yeah, sure. But he says like, I think, I think his, his whole description of the incident is like, she was crying and he felt bad for her and he was trying to help her why this was helping her i don't know yeah, so he said i was told to plead guilty so i did and i was given a pass so in other words he was placed on probation but okay. he was only 12 or 13 sure. so the discovery of this incident uh in his background first put him on the investigation's radar naturally i mean that's yeah, just sexual good. predators that's, that's like one of the first places yeah to look. it's Especially a reasonable sexually motivated crime or assault of any kind right during an early interview with police Uyghur did mention to state troopers that he knew of a shortcut out of St. Louis Canyon. So um, he offered to show the men the route. So first mistake, one trooper later testified that while they were exploring the area around the waterfall, Uyghur stopped, pointed up into a cave and asked, is that where the women were laying? So less than a week later, after he said that, the officer stopped Uyghur at the lodge to ask if they could accompany him 
uh, to his apartment in LaSalle, where he lived with his wife and two young children. They told him they wanted to take pictures of him wearing his buckskin jacket. Uyghur consented after snapping pictures. The officers clipped a couple of the tassels from the coat, which were sent to the Illinois crime lab in Springfield. Like, cause the eyewitness, the the auto dealer said that he saw a man with a tan jacket talking to three women. But I think mainly it was like, let's get photos of you in a jacket that looks like the one that the, the auto dealer, the eyewitness said he saw. Sure. So at that point, the crime lab had begun conducting polygraph testing. So even back in 1960, lie detector results were not admissible as I'm sure, you know, in court due to their unreliability. Mm -hmm. But uh, authorities use them a lot, like as we've discovered. Uyghur himself underwent six tests. Jesus. At what point are you just like, why are we still testing him? So these were polygraph tests? Yeah. After six of them? So he passed them all? He did. Because after each one, the examiner concluded he was not withholding any relevant information. They're like, oh, let's try one more time. Yeah. And he didn't commit to murder. So that to me is saying, we're not getting what we want out of him. Let's try asking different questions or let's try manipulating the intimidating him while he's taking the test or beforehand. Because he was, he was investigated and interviewed a lot and intensely. So in late April, so this would be probably a month and a half yeah. Um, after the murders. The triple homicide was still unsolved. And the Illinois Crime Lab came under intense scrutiny sure. for bungling the investigation. Sure. So the crime lab was under intense fire. And for weeks, they could not locate Lillian's rings that they thought were stolen. Sure. <laughs> so uh, a deputy unpacking evidence found them in her glove. So clearly, Christ. Robbery, so robbery is not, the, not motive. the motive. So another piece of missing evidence, Frankie's reading glasses were discovered in the pocket of her jacket. Cool. They just don't don't make the evidence fit the crime. Like use that's the evidence exactly to what, solve the crime. That is exactly what that I shit you not. That is exactly what Keith said today when I was re-watching that documentary series. <laughs> is he was like, oh, they're just they're just like trying to get the evidence to fit the crime. Yeah, or fit their narrative. Yeah, like, or fit their narrative. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and you'll find that throughout this case. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. Right. Because even if the person is guilty, you shouldn't be able to convict them based off of that. No, you, no. You base your determination on, off of like completely unbiased examination of the evidence. Like that's what it should be. On what is present yeah. and factual. Right. Not what you interpret. Exactly. But they're so confident in yeah. their conviction. I know. I hate that. And, and they will not, like, they will not budge. And it's actually just talking about this today at work because I really wish that some of the leadership in my company would, with regards to the specific thing, would just bite their tongue and say, like, we fucked up. Like, yeah. we failed. This isn't working. Yeah. Let's backtrack. Let's pivot. Let's find yeah. a different. But no. Instead, they, like, double down and are like, we're going to make this work no matter what. And it's like, swallow your fucking pride. And just yeah. be like, it's not working. Like, yeah. That's okay. Like, let's find something that will work. Yeah. It's just like this power trip of like, oh, it's got to be, I, my, you know, we have to do this. We have to go forward with this. No, you don't. Like, no. you absolutely don't. There's this guy in this series. He's a radio show host. And he wrote a book about these murders. And like, he wrote this book. Uh, he is so convinced that Chester Weger did it. 
But on the other hand, on his radio show, he says like, and you might have a different opinion and that's fine. We're all entitled to our own opinion. And like, he acts like he's open to another opinion. The whole we're we're all entitled to our own opinion is absolutely accurate when we're talking about like my favorite color is orange and yours is blue. Yeah. Like that's a different opinion. We're entitled to our opinion. It's green by the way. Yeah. But But when we're talking about our uh, difference of opinion of like somebody's guilt and like them sitting in jail for a crime that they did or did not know it's not an opinion no if there are facts that can support one way or the other it's, it's not a fucking opinion and then they go around There's right or wrong yeah you're taking the anger that you feel towards the crime and you're applying it to a person that didn't that was seemed a little off to right. you yes Chester Weir was weird. Yeah. Fucking weird. I mean, yeah. By all accounts, this guy was kind was of probably like a dipshit. Yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah, a he was just a, a piece, piece of, of shit. Like, but like, did he kill three women? Yeah. That's a different level of dipshit. That's a dip. You can be a robber. You can assault people. Yeah. You can shoot someone. Does that mean that you did this? So yeah, they kept on finding this missing evidence. And also the lab did not promptly report bloody fingerprints on the women's clothing. It's also alleged that misidentified hair found in Lillian's hand. They identified it as a female. A subsequent examination showed the source to be from two males. Oh, one, a youth and the other, a middle-aged man. Cool. Which would make sense for a slaying of three women. Yes. This is the other thing is Chester Weger couldn't have done it by himself. Like a single man in general. There are situations of course, when one man can overpower three women i mean of course there i can't think of like but yes that that could feasibly happen yeah but a a feeble like small not strong man like what how could he have overpowered three women no and i mean anyway if you see pictures of him like he's lean yeah and i and obviously like has strength and he hikes a lot yeah he's an outdoorsman or whatever but Three women in their 50s, like late 40s, early 50s. Doesn't seem. Go hiking. Unless you have a gun. Right. Like, how are you going to get? It's just like what we were saying about the Girl Scout murders. Like, how do you. How do you. And that was with three children. That was with three children, which you can see that. You can see. But like, even that is hard to see. Yeah. That is like, oh. That that's you. There are questions about it, right? Well, and Gene Leroy Hart, like he. Yeah. He was a bigger man. Yeah. Like, but Chester Weir was like five, seven. Yeah. And, you know, maybe 160 pounds. Yeah. And so they're, you know, they have no evidence yeah. to point to him. Yeah. Did he do this by himself? Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. There is no that. way in hell he did this by himself. Did he do it with someone else? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, could be. Could be. And they mentioned in the documentary series that the lodge's owner's son was a creep. Was a creep. Okay. And that he was much bigger in stature. Mm. And he and Chester, like he could manipulate Chester into sure. doing things. So do I think two people like Chester and this other guy could have done it? Potentially. Yeah. I, yeah. I could see that. That's more feasible than That's just more, Chester. Way on his more own. for 300 blows. Yeah. So in late summer, so we're getting towards, you know, August now. um, And this happened in March. The state's attorney, Harold Warren, again, and this guy, this guy's a piece of work. So he became a detective and he took stock of the evidence and he focused his attention on the twine used to bind the women. So it made him curious what kind of cord was being used at the actual lodge. Okay. So 
in one September day, he went there to collect samples. In the kitchen, he located coils of what looked like similar twine. And that discovery was enough to give him the confidence that the killer was someone who had access to that kitchen. So if you think about it, though, like that twine is probably sold multiple places. Like unless you get like unless you do like thorough research and figure out if that twine where it's actually made. what it comes. He took it apart and counted the strands and said the twine I got from the kitchen at Star Drop Lodge. I took it apart also and counted the strands and it was the same. Again, like that. That how like and how like, does that and aren't there other twines that are also the same like that's not that's not proof of anything if unless it, you have some some sort of research or studies that say like the number of of strands in twine is the definitive marker yeah. of what <laughs> makes twine like so that yeah he this guy oh yeah you'll you won't be able to stand him when you watch this. Um, over the coming months, Chester would be repeatedly questioned about the murders and would continue to deny it. Okay. On November 16th, 1960. So what is that? Nine, six months, six months or so. Cause it's March. It's, it's eight months. <laughs> it's almost exactly eight months. Okay. We're not real good at yeah, math. Not good at math. <laughs> I just got to count my fingers. <laughs> uh, Chester was lured to the... Uh, police station after questioning him relentlessly chester confessed okay he blurted all right i got scared i tried to grab their pocketbook they fought back and then i hit them so no purses pocketbooks money jewelry nothing were carried with the women on the hike and that's what we just said like why would you go hiking with your purse like it and they were all, and all those things were found in their rooms. Yeah. So that's obviously not true. Sure. And he's probably just like, I was, I thought I was saving myself. Yep. I thought that the like only the way I could that- save myself was by confessing. And then I would, I would fight my case in court. Right. It's the only reason anyone confesses falsely. Like yeah. that is, that is the reason that false confessions are a real problem. I'm not saying like feel bad for this guy because he's clearly, you know, like he's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. But he may have been involved, but did he do it all on his own? Yeah, did he do it all on his own? But they were so focused on him. Yeah. They did not try to find anyone else. So like we said, the brutality of the murder over 100 times per woman. That is so crazy. Just didn't point towards robbery. Right. Chester went on to confess that he tried to run away, but one of the women chased him and hit him with her binoculars at that point, he picked up the heavy branch. After his rage field attack, an airplane passing overhead prompted him to move the bodies under the ledge. So twice he confessed and signed a, a written statement until he was paired with an attorney. Then he denied the murders. Chester would later testify that authorities essentially gave him two options. And this sounds very right. true. Confess, get a life sentence and be released within 14 years. Or don't confess and be executed. Yeah. And I doubt they use that nice little language. Yeah, right. So there's that airplane thing. They did figure out that an airplane was flying overhead okay. in that particular section of the woods sure. that you would see. And I just, I truly believe he was there. Sure. I do not believe that he was alone. Sure. Because if you take into account like the circumstances, I could see Chester and the owner's son or another guy yeah. seeing them leave and being like, Ooh, and then following that. Sure. I do think that there's, there's just things that he says that you think to yourself, like, okay, he couldn't have known that unless he was there. Sure. He's just, he was so small. I just don't see how he did it on his own. He, 
And you would think that like three women, like they're going to yeah. fight. Yeah. They see a guy coming up like five foot, seven inches, 160 pounds, yeah. and he doesn't have a gun. Yeah. Like it's just, um, so on January 20th, uh, 1961, almost one year yeah. uh, after Lily and Frankie and Mildred were viciously killed, Chester was slated to stand trial. So on March 4th, 1961, Chester Weger was found guilty. Okay. So it's not as fast as we've seen. Yeah. But like still pretty fast. Yeah. Because today I was even, I was watching a a Dateline episode. I can't remember what the case was about, but it took five years to even for this guy to even go on trial. Like that's crazy. That's totally typical. That is absolutely typical. Does it take so long? Because it's just. There's pre-trial motions. You can have continuances if people are firing attorneys. Exactly. Like, like I know are, that's how Bundy just like delayed everything. Yeah. But but I mean, like the amount of pre-trial motions you can have like are endless. Really? Yeah. Or yeah, continuance for various things like like, like what attorneys like, or this is going to sound stupid, but like what pre-trial motion like to use? exclude evidence or oh, okay or like different testimony uh, exactly or, yeah. exactly or like okay, you know we have to. It's basically like gathering evidence before trials. So like preparation, you have to get, you have to depose people, you have to collect evidence, you have to collect. It's not just like the evidence from the, you know, police officers. It's like attorneys are going to go in and do their own investigations, essentially, and talk to people. And well, I mean, and that, I mean, that's our, that's what justice is. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like, I mean, you want to find, you want an attorney who's going to look for every single bit yeah. of evidence there is. Yeah. So, well, wow. And then this really puts this in perspective. I mean, I mean, for the time, yeah. what we've discovered is that he was like the next month. Yeah. And I mean, that's what, because he was arrested in November and he started trial in January. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He started, well, he, uh, and convicted he was, in March. yeah, he was arrested in November. Um, the trial started January. He was, yeah. And on March, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. On March 4th, uh, 1961, he was found guilty. So he was locked up at 22 years old and he would apply for parole more than 24 times while Holy in the Stateville penitentiary. Wow. Yeah. But Chester still maintained his innocence and he still does to this day. Um, as the years went on, the inaccuracy of uh, the polygraphs has come to light because again, the state's attorney, when you, you Chester Weger previously had gone through six polygraphs yeah. and had passed all of them. So this dude brings in uh, in like September, he brings in an expert from a Chicago firm using a different technique and it's psychological manipulation right. is basically what it is. Right. And it's been known to elicit false confessions. Cool. Like they've, they've proven that. So under the guise of like testing several employees, again, they brought up Uyghur. They He did it specifically to nail this guy, mm-hmm. not looking at anyone else. He's right. just like, they accused me of bungling the evidence. Now I'm going to redeem myself. And like, he was up for, a, he was up for Re-election another term yeah. and he lost. But, and when the test was completed, the polygraph, Uyghur left the cabin where they were doing it. And according to some people, the polygraph examiner looked at Warren, the state's attorney, and he said, like, that's your guy. Yeah. And so now he's like super focused on this, this guy. And no one else that it's not that it's tragic that they focused on Chester Uyghur. It's tragic that they didn't focus on anyone else. Sure. Because I think that there were two people. Right. Yeah. So 
they, you know, of course, as the years have gone on, they've discovered less than legal interrogation techniques. Of course. And with these pieces of evidence on their side, like this polygraph uh, examiner and all this other stuff, Chester's lawyer succeeded in getting him paroled in February of 2020. Okay. So 84-year-old Chester gave an interview denouncing his involvement in the murders and his hopes to move to the suburbs and meet his almost 60-year-old daughter. Oh. Um, Solid evidence against Chester was never found, though conclusions were definitely made. Yeah. Yeah. So he's still, he's alive. He's still alive. his innocence. Despite the confession that he signed. Um, and I think they said he confessed or like he wrote a confession like five separate times. But then when he got an attorney, he denied all of it. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, draw, draw whatever conclusions that you will from that. It's, it's, it's to me, it's a really complicated and tragic case. Like, yeah, they just became so narrow sighted. Yeah. Uh, and solely focused on this one person. And it happens so often, right? I mean, this is how investigations work, you know? And yeah. I mean, it's it's not like I, I don't fault police officers for getting tunnel vision. They, I mean, you you focus in on an idea and you have a hard time, like, yeah. stepping back from it and seeing the bigger picture. But, I mean, that is their job to do, but you how know? How many years did they have to yeah. go back over the evidence? Right. And it's like, you, come on, at this point, like, just admit you're wrong, like, you know? but, the, but they can't. Yeah. It's just pride. It's just you're, you sacrificed, you possibly sacrificed a man's life. Yeah. And didn't get justice for three families. Right. Because of your pride. Right. And the, and the consequences of such a tragedy and, you know, the fallout afterwards are so far reaching. Yeah. It's, it's insane. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he, it's very possible that he belonged there. It's very possible he committed this crime. But I mean, and that's the other thing the is like, point to that? if it, even, you know, sometimes I know this is terrible, but sometimes I think like, well, they couldn't get you on the rapes yeah. or, or rape uh, and that you traumatized and ruined this poor girl's life. So they're just like, so, what's the next best thing? Well, and then I'm, I'm just like, well, it, you know. At least he's in prison for something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Well, thank you for checking Illinois off our list with something other than just a typical Chicago. Oh yeah. Um, A mobster murder. Oh God. I, this one just was so interesting to me. I mean, it just like talk about innocent victims. God, I know. And I just like, it's just three gal pals that just wanted to like have a break from the stresses of life and like, go like can't you know like we go up to Grand Marais and like have like a yeah weekend or just unwind and that's what they were trying to do and they get fucking killed for no apparent reason not robbery not rape not just just pure yeah evil which well is and that's the thing thing, is like the thing that drew me to the case in the first place was just the victims and like and what they were like yeah and and what they were doing yeah because that's something that we would be doing yeah and i could i could totally relate to that yeah just just tragic all around i mean yeah, super tragic if he was innocent but i honestly don't think he was yeah. um he likely had some involvement whether it was yeah whatever it was yeah super Ugh. super interesting case <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Well, exposes our justice system for the yeah, flawed I, institution we, that it is. We have a lot of cases like that, right? Yeah. Like where it's like, oh, they didn't get it right or, or they just didn't look deep enough or. Yeah. 
Well, thank you very much, Kate. It was yeah. enjoyable. I'll be up next week with something fun. I'm not sure. Why, oh, it'll be good. <laughs> I know it'll be good. Oh, <laughs> it'll be so good. Uh, please like us, subscribe, find us on Instagram at premeditated podcast. Kate is always posting funny shit on there. We have a good time. I just realized that my most recent post has a very controversial figure on it. Does it? Oh well, yeah. It's Prince Andrew. Oh no. But it was kind of suit. It was like, it was kind of fitting though, because I, I was talking about getting away with a crime and like he literally did. Send us an email. You know oh, we let's get an email. email. Did I totally creep out your uncle? I'm shocked that we haven't gotten an email. I know. I've been checking creepy. because I was like, oh, I wonder I if since it Chris has sent us an email. And he hasn't. Because <laughs> I'm he a will. creep. Yeah, because now I he's made not. things weird. Sorry. Subscribe. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Uncle Chris. I made things weird. I tend to do yeah. that. But shoot us over an email at thepremeditatedpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, tell your folks we says hi. It's like, I don't think you've actually listened to our no, own intro. I forget what it sounds like. So I'm just, we should do the ice cream truck. Right? <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> That's not it. That's yeah. it.